Hello and welcome to this week's special of Macabre for Mortals. I just wanted to give a little bit of a light episode leading up into the Christmas and the holiday period and also it's a bit of a twist on this time of year. So this episode will be covering some of Christmas laws, creatures and myths. Um, probably the three most that um, are circulating. So strap on your sleigh bells and let's go on a journey. A few years ago, I was introduced to my first glimpse of my first creature myth lore via a good old episode of Scooby-Doo. I think I've been obsessed with Scooby-Doo since I used to sit with my granddad when I was about four watching them. I think he secretly liked watching them too. I now also watch Scooby-Doo with my son because I secretly still love it. I think this was the true crime lover in the making. Anyway, I was introduced to Krampus. I was hooked. And ever since then, I've looked into the legends, even to the point of sitting down with my friends one night about three years ago and telling them that we were watching a nice Christmas film when really I'd put on the 2015 film Krampus. Let's just say they did not expect what turned out from that movie. The history of Krampus has been theorized as stretching back to pre-Christian Alpine traditions. In a brief article discussing the figure published in about 1958, Maurice Bruce wrote, there seems to be little doubt as to his true identity for in no other form is the full regalia of the horned god of the witches so well preserved. The birch, apart from its phallic significance, may have a connection with the initiation rites of certain witch covens, rites which entailed binding and scourging as a form of mock death. The chains could have been introduced in a Christian attempt to bind the devil, but then again, they could have been remnant of a pagan initiation rites. Discussing his observations in 1975, while in Erding, a small town in Styria, anthropologist John J. Hogneman wrote, The St. Nicholas Festival we are describing incorporates cultural elements widely distributed in Europe, in some cases going back to pre-Christian times. St. Nicholas himself became popular in Germany around the 11th century. The feast dedicated to this patron of children is only one winter occasion in which children are the objects of special attention, others being Martimus and the Feast of the Holy Innocents and New Year's Day. Mass devils acting boisterously and making nuisances of themselves are known in Germany since at least the 16th century, while animal mass devils combining dreadful comic antics appeared in the medieval church plays. A large literature, much of it by European folklorists, bears on these subjects. Austrians in the community that we studied are aware of the heathen elements being blended with the Christian elements in the St. Nicholas customs and in other traditional winter ceremonies. They believe Krampus derives from a pagan supernatural who was assimilated to the Christian devil. 
The Krampus figure persists and by the 17th century, Krampus has been incorporated into Christian winter celebrations by pairing Krampus with St. Nicholas. So let's just rein it back a little bit. In recent years, the myth that the Krampus was the son of Hel, Norse goddess of the underworld, has been popularized on the internet, even appearing in articles in the National Geographic and the Smithsonian Magazine. However, this connection is likely the intervention of American fantasy artist and author Jared Brom, whose 2012 novel Krampus the Yule Lord features Krampus as the main protagonist. The same idea also appeared shortly afterwards in two online games by the Norwegian game producer Funcom. The Feast of St. Nicholas is celebrated in parts of Europe on the 6th of December. On the preceding evening of the 5th of December, Krampus Night or Krampusnacht, the wicked hairy devil appears on the streets, sometimes accompanying St. Nicholas and sometimes on his own. Krampus visits the homes and businesses. St. Nicholas usually appears in the eastern rite vestments of a bishop. He carries a golden ceremonial staff. Unlike North American versions of Santa Claus, in these celebrations, St. Nicholas concerns himself with only good children, while Krampus is re responsible for the bad children. Nicholas disperses gifts, while Krampus supplies the coal and the rutten bundles. Although Krampus appears in merry variations, most share some co common physical characteristics. He is hairy, usually brown or black fur, has cloven hooves and horns of a goat. His long pointed tongue lolls out and he has fangs. As I mentioned earlier, Krampus carries chains. And even though this is thought to symbolize the binding of the devil by the Christian church, he does thrash the chains for dramatic effect. And sometimes the chains are chain, bleh, chains, sorry, are accompanied with bells of various sizes. So that can sort of in the minds of children think that it's Santa Claus with the bells on the sleigh, but in fact it's Krampus even more scary. Of more pagan origins are the rutin, the bundles of birch branches that Krampus carries and with which he occasionally swats children. The rutin may have significance in pre-Christian pagan initiation rites. The birch branches are replaced with a whip in some of the representations of Krampus. Also, sometimes Krampus appears with a sack or a basket strapped onto his back. This is to cart off evil children for drowning, eating, or transporting into hell. Some of the older versions of Krampus make mention of naughty children being put into the bag and taken away. That's not a nightmare in the making at all, is it? So let's have a little look of how entrenched this is actually in um, some of our European cultures. So there is something called, 
I really apologize for my pronunciation. I've tried my best with this. German was not my language of choice when I was in school. I did French and Spanish. So um, give me a little bit of license here. So there's Perschenlauf, which is a seasonal play that spread throughout the Alpine regions and was actually known as the Nicolasplat, which is Nicholas play. This was inspired by something called the Paradise Plays, which focus on Adam and Eve's encounter with the Tempter. The Nicholas Plays featured in a competition for the human souls and played on the question of morality. In these Nicholas Plays, St. Nicholas would reward children for scholarly efforts rather than for good behaviour. And this is a theme that grew in Alpine regions where the Roman Catholic Church had a significant influence. There were already established pagan traditions in the Alpine regions that became intertwined with Catholicism. People would masquerade as a devilish figure known as the perch, a two-legged humanoid goat with a giraffe-like neck wearing animal fur. People wore costumes and marched in processions known as pedgelofs, which are regarded as an earlier form of the Krampus Romans. Pechtenlofs were looked at with suspicion by the Catholic Church and banned by some civil authorities due to sparse population and rugged environments within the Alpine regions. The ban was not effective or very easily enforced, rendering the ban really useless. Eventually, the Pechtenlof, inspired by the Nicholas plays, introduced St. Nicholas and his set of good morals and the perch transformed into what is known, now known as Krampus and was made to be subjected to St. Nicholas's will. So there is also something called Krampuslauf. So it's actually customary to offer Krampus schnapps, a strong distilled fruit brandy. I remember drinking far too much snaps when I was 15 years old, I know, far too young, and not reacting very good to it. So now I do not like snaps at all because of that. But in Alpine regions, I know they have lots of different flavours and it's a very, very popular Christmas drink. This customary also sort of harkens back to leaving out your brandy or your whiskey or ever whatever drink of choice for Father Christmas, as well as your mince pie or your chocolate and a carrot for Rudolph. So Krampusluff is a run. So basically people would dress up as Krampus and they have runs through the streets. So these runs may include what we call a perchant. Similarly, wild pagan spirits of Germanic folklore and sometimes female in representation. Although the perchant are properly associated with the period between winter solstice, which is the 21st of December, which in European and all the Northern Hemisphere is the shortest day of the year. Well, me and the Southern Hemisphere at the moment is the longest day of the year. 
and the 6th of January. Europeans have been exchanging greetings cards featuring Krampus since the 1800s, sometimes introduced with the Grump von Krampus, greetings from Krampus. The cards usually have a humorous rhyme and poem, and Krampus is often featured looming menacingly over children. He is also shown having one human foot and one cloven hoof, and in some Krampus has sexual overtones. He is pictured pursuing buxom women. Over time, the representation of Krampus in the cards has changed. The older versions have more frightening Krampus, while the modern versions have a cuter, more Cupid-like creature. And in the Alpine regions and in Germany, Krampus has also adorned lots of postcards and sweet or candy containers. As with every sort of myth or creature or lore, there are regional variations of Krampus. In Styria, the written bundles are presented by Krampus to families. The twigs are painted gold and displayed year-round in the house, a reminder to any child who has temporarily forgotten Krampus. In smaller, more isolated villages, the figure has other beastly companions, such as the antlered wildman figures, and St. Nicholas is nowhere to be seen. These Styrian companions of Krampus are called the Schluttenbahn or Rohen. A toned-down version of Krampus is a part of the popular Christmas markets in Austrian urban centres like Salzburg. In these more tourist-friendly interpretations, Krampus is more humorous than fearsome. In Cave de Prittel, the northern part of the Udine province in Italy, an annual, an annual Krampus festival is held in early December. Just before the sun sets, the Krampus come out from an old cave and chase children Boys mainly, but also ad adults, punishing them with strokes on their legs. To satisfy their anger, children and young people must recite a prayer. Similar figures are recorded in neighbouring areas. Kerbloff in Austria, where bottle or bottle or nickel bottle and wooden bottle are used in the southern part of the country. In most parts of Slovenia, whose culture was greatly affected by Austrian culture, Krampus is called Pakaje and is one of the companions of the Mislav, the Slovenian form of St. Nicholas. As in many parts of Croatia, Krampus is described as a devil wearing cloth sack around his waist and chains around his neck, ankles and wrists. As a part of a tradition, when a child receives a gift from St. Nicholas, he is given a golden branch to represent his good deeds throughout the year. However, if the child does misbehave, Krampus will take the gifts for himself and leave only a silver branch to represent the child's bad acts. So we can actually see here where the branch has come in at different parts and how they symbolize different things to um, different countries and different beliefs. But they all still harken back to the same sort of themes where Krampus is there to show bad children what that they have been bad this year and St. Nicholas is there to show them that they've been good. Krampus is a tradition that is, it, that is revived in Western European countries, mainly in Bavaria, 
where local artistic tradition of hand-carved wood masks is actually making a resurgence. Most traditional Krampus costumes are made from goats or sheepskins, animal horns, and the hand-carved masks. But more often they're made with modern, less costly materials such as the fake fur, the latex masks. Several Krampus costume instructional, instructional YouTube videos are actually available and they are actually quite good. You can actually watch some videos on YouTube about the Krampus runs and everything. They're really good to watch, especially if you're very far from anywhere that you could actually go to one yourself. And especially during the COVID crisis at the moment, it's not likely that any of us would be able to go to one anyway. Overall, Krampus is actually one of my most favourite um, of the laws. Not because I think it is a morbid or a scary creature, but I think how long that Krampus has actually been entrenched in so many different parts of Europe and how even though they have their different interpretations of the different things like the Reuben, the birch twigs or whether he has chains on, it just gives a harken back to, they all go back to the same sort of image. And Krampus seems to have the same ethical morality, I think, where he comes the night before St. Nicholas. So it's sort of saying, well, you haven't been very good this year, so here's your silver birch or here's your piece of coal. I prefer to go with that one than with the snatching and drowning children. But I think in general, it's not something that I will teach my son, but maybe when he gets a bit older, he might be able to see the funny side of things like I do. My next Christmas lore is the less known Zwartpier. The character first appeared in an 1850 book by Amsterdam school teacher Jan Sekman. Traditionally, Zwartpiet is black because he is a Moor from Spain. And those portraying Zwartpiet usually put on something now that we call blackface and cover not colourful Renaissance attire in addition to curly wigs and bright red lipstick. In recent years, obviously, the character has become a subject of controversy as Putting a black face on something is not obviously culturally sensitive, but I'm just giving you the history of what this character was. But the essence behind the character, I think, is important to know. So the Zwart Piet character is part of the annual feast of St. Nicholas that is celebrated on the evening of the 5th of December, like Krampus but in the Netherlands, Suriname, Aruba, and Krakow. This is when presents and sweets are usually traditionally distributed to the children. The holiday is celebrated on the 6th of December in Belgium. The Zwart Piet character appears only in the weeks before the Feast of St. Nicholas. First, when the saint is welcomed with the parade as he arrives into the country, generally by boat after travelling from Madrid in Spain. The tasks of the various Zwartpiet or Zwartepietum in Dutch are mostly to amuse children and to distribute Kruitenten, 
Pepper Noir and other Strudugur, a special type of Sinterklaas themed sweets. Those who come to meet the saint as he visits school stores and other places. According to Helene Adeline Gruberger and other historians, the origin of the Sinterklaas and his helpers have been linked to some of the wild hunt of Odin. While riding the white horse of Selimpera, he flew through the air as a leader of the wild hunt. He was always accompanied by two black ravens, Hugin and Muginin. These helpers would listen, just like Swartpeet at the chimneys of the homes that they visited to tell Odin about the good or bad behaviour of the mortals below. In medieval iconography, St Nicholas, as I said before, is sometimes presented as taming a chain demon who may or may not be black. However, no hint of a companion demon servant or any other human or human-like fixed companion to the saint is found in visual and text sources from the Netherlands from the 16th century until about the 19th century. According to a long-standing theory first proposed by Karl Meusen, Zwart Piet and his equivalents in Germanic Europe were originally presented as one or more enslaved demons forced to assist their captor. These chained and fire-scorched demons, so this maybe where the blackened skin comes from because it's fire-scorched, may have been redeveloped as the black-skinned humans during the early 19th century in the Netherlands as the likeness of the Moors who actually worked as servants for St. Nicholas. The lyrics of older traditional singing class songs still sung today warn that the Sinterklaas and his assistant will leave well-behaved children present but punish those who have been naughty. They may even take very poorly behaved children to the homeland of Spain in a burlap sack, where according to legend, they'll be forced to assist them in their workshop for an entire season or longer. These songs and stories also warn that a child who has only been slightly naughty will receive, wait for it, a bundle of birch twigs or a lump of coal instead of gifts. Very, very similar to the Krampus legend there. However, in 1850, the Amsterdam-based primary school teacher, as I mentioned before, Janet Skep, oh, I can't pronounce her surname, Schellman, published the book Saint Nicholas en Knit. So Saint Nicholas and his servant. It is widely considered to be the first time a servant character was included in a printed version of the St. Nicholas narrative. The servant is depicted as a page who appears dark-skinned, wearing clothes associated with the Moors. The book also established another mythos that would become standard. The Intnacht, or entry, ceremony of St. Nicholas and his servant, then still nameless, involving a steamboat. Schneckmann has the two characters arrive from Spain with no reference made to Nicholas's historical homeland of Myra, Lycia, which is located in what is now modern-day Turkey. In the 1850 version of Schneckmann's book, 
The servant is depicted in simply white. Nothing. Oh, sorry, terrible reading by me. In the 1815 version of Skekman's book, the servant is depicted in simple white clothing with red hems. Beginning with the second edition in 1858, the page is illustrated in a much more colourful page costume. This book did remain in print until 1950 and has had considerable influence in the current celebration. But because of the ongoing controversies surrounding the character, many schools, businesses and other organisations across the Netherlands have become changing what piece clothing and makeup or phasing the character out entirely. The most common variation has been dubbed Sooty Piet, which I don't really think is any better. The version features the page outfit, with, but without the curly wig, earrings or lipstick. Smeared on makeup simulates soot smudges and an actor portraying the character retains their own natural, natural skin tone. So the suit could actually harken back to um, where I read before about the wild hunt, about the ravens listening down the chimney. So maybe the chimney soot has gone on their face. The portrayals of the both Sinterklaas and Zwartpi can also further vary from region to region. The holiday is celebrated in the Antilles and the Cinnamon, where the Sinterklaas is obviously play, is often played by a white painted actor who is accompanied by several others dressed as what pit. In 2015, the Biencourt department store chain opted to replace the holiday displays featuring what pit with a golden skilled version instead. Elsewhere, one in three Dutch primary schools announced plans to alter the character's appearance in their celebration. So all in all with this one, I think it's another one of the sort of Krampus versions where it's a helper of St. Nicholas or the altar to Saint altar to Saint Nicholas of Zwart Piet. Cause you can see the the similarities with the birch twigs and the, the chains and listening to see whether people have been naughty or nice and reporting back. So I, I think there is that similarity there with this one, and maybe it is just a version of Krampus, but in a more humanoid form. Anyway, this is one that I had heard of, um, having certain Dutch friends and being in their folklore a little bit more. But I think it's one that isn't widely known by a lot of people, so I just wanted to put it out there. But I do obviously understand that it is quite controversial, the way that they did have the actors dressed up but I can see now with the soot being um, smudged on by harkening back to the listening in the chimneys or even just doing the gold dressed up I think that's perfectly fine and I think that's what needs to move forward to keep traditional um, characters around but also really bring them up to present day sort of respectability to everybody. The next folklore I'm going to cover is one from Iceland, but it involves three different characters, Gryla, the Yule Cat, and the Yule Lads. So this is 
Icelandic Christmas folklore that depicts mountain-dwelling characters and monsters who come to town during Christmas. The stories are directed at children and are used to scare them into good behaviour. And the folklore includes both mischievous pranksters who leave gifts during the night and monsters who eat disobedient children. The first mention of the Yule Lads can be found in a 17th century poem of Gráila. Gráila had appeared in older tales as a troll, but had not been linked to Christmas before this. And Gráila is described as a hideous being who is the mother of the gigantic Yule Lads, who are a menace to children. Early on, the number and depiction of the Yule Lads varied greatly depending on location, and with each individual lad ranging from mere prankster to homicidal monster who eats children. They were used to frighten the children into good behaviour and are similar to the bogeyman. The King of Denmark objected to their use as a disciplinary tool. I think most people would. In the late 18th century, a poem mentions there being 13 of the Yule Lads. And in the mid-19th century, author Jean Aronson drew an inspiration from the Brothers Grimm and began collecting folktales. His 1862 collection is the first mention of the names of the Yule Lads. In 1932, the poem Yule Lads was published as part of a popular poetry book, Christmas is Coming, or Jean Coma, by Icelandic poet Jonens Jut Kotlum. The poem was popular and so established what is now considered to be the conical 13 Yule Lads and their names and their personalities. I will go into more detail in a minute. Gryla is originally mentioned as being a giantess in the 13th century compilation of Norse mythology, or Pos Edda, but no specific connection to Christmas is mentioned until the 17th century. She is enormous and her appearance is repulsive. The oldest poems about Gryla describe her as her being her parasitic beggar who walks around asking parents to give her their disobedient children. Her plans can be thwarted by giving her food or by chasing her away. Originally, she lives in a small cottage, but in later poems, she appears to have been forced out of town into a faraway cave. Current day, Gryla has the ability to detect children who are misbehaving year round. And during Christmas time, she comes down from the mountains to search nearby towns for her meal. She leaves her cave, hunts children, and carries them home in her giant sack. She devours children as her favourite snack. Her favourite dish is stew of naughty children, for which she has an unsustainable appetite. And according to the legend, there is never a shortage of food for Gryla. According to folklore, Gryla has been married three times, and her third husband, Lapudi, is said to be living with her in her cave in the Dimordi lava fields with the big black Yule cat and their sons. Lepolodi is lazy and mostly stays at home in their cave and Gryla supposedly has dozens of children with her previous husbands but they are rarely mentioned nowadays. 
The story of Gryla sort of reminds me of the story of Hansel and Gretel where they go to the witch's cottage since she used to live in the cottage and um, where the witch wants to stew Hansel and Gretel to eat them. Very similar. So the Yule Cat, a huge and vicious cat who is described as lurking about the snowy countryside during Christmas time and eating people who have not received any new clothes to wear before Christmas Eve. He is the house pet of Gryla and her sons. They're referred to as an ancient tradition. Written accounts of the Yule Cat have only been located as recently as the 19th century. The threat of being eaten by the Yule Cat was used by farmers as an incentive for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. The ones who took part in the work would be rewarded with new clothes, but those who did not would get nothing, and thus would be preyed upon by the monstrous cat. The cat has alternatively been described as merely eating away the food of ones without the new clothing during the Christmas feasts. The perception of the Yule Cat as a man-eating beast was partially popularised by the poems of Jeunesse de Conten as with the rest of the folklore. So going back to the Yule Lads, they're sometimes named as Yule Tad Lads or Yule Men, and they are actually considered to be the sons of Gryla and Lepolodi. They are a group of 13 mischievous pranksters who steal from or otherwise harass the population, and they all have very descriptive names that generally convey their favourite way of causing mischief. They arrive one by one on the final 13 nights leading up to Christmas or Yule, and they leave small gifts in the shoes of children placed on a windowsill. But if the child has been disobedient, they leave a potato in the shoe instead. So... St. Nicholas is actually portrayed as putting gifts in children's shoes in some European countries that they leave out. So that's sort of harkening back to the Yule Boys. So the Yule Lads are generally portrayed wearing late medieval Icelandic clothing, but are sometimes shown in the costume traditionally worn by Santa Claus, even at children's events. So I'm going to go one by one and describe the your boys. So we've got, I'm going to try my best at the pronunciation of Icelandic, but I can tell you now it's not my native language. So I've got Stekjastal, the sheep coat clod. He harasses sheep, but is impaired by his stiff peg legs. He will first come out on the 12th of December and he will, his last day out is the 25th of December. There's Gilagur, Gulligurk. He hides in gullies, waiting for an opportunity to sneak into the cow shed and steal milk. He is around from the 13th of December to the 26th of December. Stuffur, or Stubby, abnormally short, steals pans to eat the crust left on them. Mm. Out from the 14th of December to the 27th of December. Spokeslef, spoon liquor steals and licks wooden spoons, is extremely thin due to malnutrition, out from the 15th of December to the 28th of December. Potter Skenfil, 
pot scraper steals leftovers from pots. Very simple. 16th of December to the 29th of December. Askachliev, bowl liquor. Hides under beds waiting for someone to put down their askur, a type of bowl with a lid used instead of dishes, which then he steals. From the 17th of December to the 30th of December. All right, this one will be coming out today, my day of recording, the 18th of December. So this one is Huraskele, or door slammer. Likes to slam doors, especially during the night and waking people up. Don't think I like that one. So that's the 18th of December to the 31st of December. Skryoguma, or Sky Gobbler, has a great affinity for Skryer, which is similar to yogurt or yogurt from the 19th of December to the 1st of January. Ugnya Kreya, sausage swiper, hides in the rafters and snatches sausages that are being smoked from the 20th of December to the 2nd of January. Gugrea, window peeper, a snoop who likes to look through windows in search of things to steal. 21st December to the 3rd of January. This one, I the next one, is one that I think is strange and reminds me of the child catcher. Gatebuffu, doorway sniffer, has an abnormally large nose and a cute sense of smell, which he uses to locate leaf bread or lofobois. 22nd of December to the 4th of January. Katogre, meat hook, uses a meat hook to steal meat from the 23rd of December to the 5th of January. And the last one is Ketasnir, or Candle Stealer. Follows children in order to steal their candles, which were once made of tallow and thus edible. And that is from the 24th of December to the 6th of January. So all those names are, I've given the English names, which are based on Halmberg's Hodemossen's translation of the poem. So I'm sorry if some of you do actually know Icelandic and my Translation wasn't correct, but this is the translation from there. So before these 13-year-old lads became most popular, the description of them varied between locations. And as I mentioned before, some of them were said to be sons of Gryla and other were her brothers. Some stories only describe nine-year-old lads, but every one of them has always had their own characteristic prank. Most of the different Yule lads can be classified into groups, those who steal food, those who like to play tricks or harass, and those who just seem to be a delusion from nature. For example, Gully Gork, who hides in the gullies. In the east of Iceland, there existed a folktale of a specific group of Yule lads who did not come from the mountains, but from the ocean. And one very obscure nursery I mentions are being two female Yule pranksters who steal melted fat by either stuffing it up their nose or putting it in their socks. Gryla and the Yule Lads actually appeared as a central plot in the 2018 Christmas episode of The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, titled A Midwinter's Tale, in which the Yule Lads terrorise the household and Gryla attempts to claim a baby from Sabrina's aunt. This is something which, it's the first time that I came across Gryla. I had heard about the Yule Lads before, but Gryla was certainly obviously a lot older in where she came from and it was interesting to find out the things about her. 
in also in popular culture, a Yule cat named Jola appears in the 2020 Netflix movie Christmas Chronicles 2. Jola is being chased by Santa Claus and is friendly within the movie's antagonist Belsnick and Speck. Belsnickel unleashed Jola in the reindeer stable where he injured Dasha. At the time when Jack was getting a route needed to cure the Christmas elves, Jola attacks him and Jack fends him off with an explosive gingerbread cookie. Who knows? During the climax of the film, Dasher recovers to attack a Jola who is then sent flying out of the Santa village by Santa Claus. So, I don't know. I think that was a bit of a one of trying to make cats evil again, but there we go. But all in all, I think those three linking together during and going through to the Icelandic um, folklore, you can see where all the different folklores do all cross over between each other and how the stories seem to have either evolved or they take on the place of origin. But all in all, it's all about good children and naughty children. So I hope you enjoyed this quick dive into a few Christmas laws. I mainly wanted to cover the ones most known by popular culture. And these are honestly the ones that I've always um, been mostly interested in and they've really given me a lot of information. So I hope you all have a lovely Christmas or any holiday that you do celebrate. And always remember that Father Christmas always wore green before Coke turned him red. So my sources today were mainly on Wikipedia and I had the National Geographic and also the Smithsonian. It was really interesting to learn all of these things because to be honest, I knew Krampus, I knew most of the things about, but the other two I've definitely learned a lot about. And I thought it'd be just a nice light Christmas episode after the really heavy ones that we've just had recently. But I hope you have a wonderful holiday. Thank you for listening to another episode of Macabre for Mortals. Please follow us on Instagram at Macabre for Mortals. Join our Facebook group at Macabre for Mortals podcast or send me through an email at macabremortals at gmail.com. I really look forward to hearing from some of you just to give me a few ideas of what you would like me to cover. Um, I've got a few things in the pipeline. Obviously, there is all those big serial killers which people do like to find that information. But to be honest... I think they're covered by so many other people that I try to do the ones which are a little bit more obscure and a little and have that little bit more information on that you might not know about, but I think is really interesting and people should have that exposure and definitely the victims should too. Anyway, on that note, I hope you have a lovely holiday and thank you for listening. Bye.